them winning their first flag since 
Well, while we wait to get Herdy back, we, we can see him, but we just can't hear him. We're not sure why. Um, tell us about your relationship with Kale, Joe, because uh, it goes back a long way. As you said, you were, you were teammates. And, and what's it like watching a former teammate and good close friend who then is still playing when you're not? Yeah, I mean, it is, it's, I, I really enjoy it. And that's the thing that I think um, is uh, why I'm so, you know, still invested is because of the care that you have for the people that you used to play with. And, um, you know, you really want them just to do well. And, and Hooksy and I speak, um, you know, a couple of times a week, just, you know, through our, our friendship. And, you know, obviously he's had some injury interruptions and um, I'm keen to, to get his take on, you know, like how the delay is meant for his body and, and preparing himself, you know, to play and um, and what it's going to look like for a few of the Essendon guys who are actually sort of probably weren't going to be there, weren't going to be ready to go um, when pre-season started. Um, oh, sorry, when the season started. But now, actually, after this last sort of eight weeks, they're going to be actually ready, hopefully, to be able to, to put their hand up and actually play games. So we keen to get his take on how difficult that's been trying to um, get himself physically ready to play while being in isolation. Well, Herdy is not far away, but uh, what we might do is you you put uh, Xavier under under pressure, sort of a one-on-one type situation, uh, Mark, Michael Parkinson style, and uh, we'll try and get Herdy back. <laughs> with, with pleasure, Whitey, with pleasure. <laughs> and so, uh, Xavier, what... Um, what can you do in terms of updating the um, the fans and, and supporters on where things are at? Um, the the timeline on how far away do you feel we are before the clubs start opening up and players can start returning to a, a full time basis? Yeah, well, thanks, Joe. Well, first, before I get into that, obviously, it would be remiss of me not to say congratulations on the announcement you were. You and Virginia have made this week. It's very exciting. We were just debating prior to the program which was more challenging, going from baby number one to number two, or Herdy was quite keen on saying going from number two to number three was more challenging. But congratulations to you both. Yeah, thank you very much. It was um, certainly something that um, I was wondering whether I'd made the right decision on Monday morning when Juniper woke me up at um, 5am and I came downstairs and uh, Benson had pooed in the middle of the um, hallway and I'm cleaning up and thinking, do I really need to be going down the, this uh, garden path for number two coming up? So I'm going to have some sleepless nights, which you've, uh, you've told, you told me personally that going from one to two was harder than zero to one, which I can't believe, but um, let's wait and see, I guess. Oh, it's ch- well, I, mean, I think Herdy's now with us, but he, he was pretty keen on saying that going from two to three was harder, weren't you, Jim? He was no, saying that, but he, he's nodding. He's, he's there, still but not. I'm not sure. You go from well, a, that... you go from a one-on-one defence to a zone defence when you go from two to three, Xavier. <laughs> yeah, apparently, you, you would know why he yeah, too. Yes. No, it's um, so back to your original question, Joby. It sort of um, it it sort of felt like probably we're going to get a, a bit of information sooner than what probably is going to actually happen, and that's and that's not to be critical one bit of the AFL. I think it's just a really complex set of circumstances that they've been working for. And when you you, know, you consider that the AFL is also working, unlike the NRL, not, and not, again, not to compare the two in, in, a, in a positive and negative manner, it's just the, the state of having to deal with a couple of states that still have quarantine periods in play, like that, that sort of makes the challenge around building medical protocols that cater for all states, the logistical and operational challenges of how the season would unfold and obviously the fly-in, fly-out model or what, what probably now looks like will be somewhat of a hybrid model at least for the few weeks 
um, of the season uh, where some teams may need to be based on the eastern seaboard. You know, it's the complexity of bringing that all together whilst understanding each state is managing themselves separately to the others as much as there's a central piece of advice from from uh, the federal government. You know, it's, it's obviously very, very challenging, but it does feel like, so with the draft protocols released yesterday, you know, we've been working really hard as an executive and as a senior football leadership to ensure that we can help build a model where we've got our you know, 24 staff have been identified for our football uh, sort of return to play model. We'll have to do the same for our administration in, in a very similar way to what we've been doing before. Um, but then understanding the protocols that are going to be in place for how we make sure we keep the, the administration and the football program separate. We've done a fair bit of work leading into round one because it is complex. You know, it's, we're probably lucky that we've got a big facility. We're on separate floors. You know, we're normally entering in the same entry point, but we're, going to, we're separating that using different uh, stairwells and, and lifts and things like that. Like the, de- the get when you on face value, it looks complex, but when you really get down into the detail, it's it's actually really really challenging. So I, I sympathise with the AFL, but from a club club level, I think we're pretty well planned. We're ready to go. The players are definitely. You can definitely feel there's a spring in the step, and Hooks, you'll probably be able to talk to that a little bit later on from his perspective. But um, yeah, it feels exciting that football is just around the corner, albeit in a slightly different format to what we're normally used to. And Xavier, you talked about you know like how how the structure of football departments will look going forward, and and what that will look like, and the executive, and um, specifically the mandate from uh, you know the AFL and headquarters about what a football department will look like because it's going to be vastly different from what it was. Um, the expectations were, you know, when you set budgets and things like that at the, at the end of uh, last year. Yeah, that's right. We sort of we, we we've got normally between 42 and 44 people in our football department and obviously you're reducing that dramatically to get down to a point where you're within the headcount threshold that the AFL has indicated at 20, 24. So that's where ultimately it has to be led. That's, those decisions need to be led by your senior coach and your, your GM of football around philosophically where they feel um, the strength of our football lies in terms of philosophical beliefs of, of uh, how you want to structure your program. And that's, you know, for us, obviously coaching has been a big part of that. Um, the mental skills space and, and player welfare and support has been a big part. They are two really important parts. It doesn't, doesn't mean they're more important than others, but you put additional resource, or we have certainly put additional resource behind those areas. So um, and then you've got to remember you're coming into a phase where you're trying to build the players back up or as much as they've taken a pretty good um, baseline uh, through the training of the last six weeks. You are, it is a unique game. You, you, know, you guys know that more than anyone where the, you know, off the line work, kicking a football, all that sort of is, is a unique aspect to our game that players, the contact piece that players need to get their head back around and have you know, actual training where they actually receive that. So that's sort of... It's going to be a big. There's going to be a big role for the high performance group to be able to play to help um, give the players that exposure in, in what will be a relatively short period of time leading into the recommencement of the season. Now we have got uh, Herdy back. He is at a secret location, so it's obviously not near Melbourne because uh, reception is an issue. But he's bunkering down. But we've got him on the phone instead. Uh, Herdy, officially welcome, and away you guys go. Yeah, thank you. I'm not sure what I missed. I heard bits and pieces, but kept dropping out. But uh, it's very exciting, Xavier, that uh, football is about to um, soon to be back. Yeah, it is. It is. We're just talking about it. sort of um, as much as there's still a little bit more to work through, you know. And even then, with respect to the AFL, you know, hopefully there's an announcement tomorrow about what return to training might look like. Whether we get a, a return to play date. 
Um, you know, I'm not entirely sure, and it's something we're just going to have to wait and sort of see. It's not because the AFL probably don't want to make those announcements. It's just because they're trying to bring all of the states with them and all the, the differing stakeholders that will be so important to the game resuming. So it's a big step, but it's coming along, and it's, uh, it's something to look forward to. Has the club had a chance to have a look at right, supporters aren't able to go to the games? And, you know, they're always obviously you know, on TV and catching up how to set up a, a social network that is a virtual audience. You've got it on TV, obviously, but, you know, looking at ways that fans can engage with their, the people they normally sit next to or, or virtually sort of have that social outlet that, you know, football brings as well as just watching the game of football. Yeah, I think the club, I mean, there's a, clearly the big focus in the last six weeks has been the digital platforms and how you keep people. And that's you know, an example of that is this, this podcast. We, and we, we developed this podcast on the back of trying to pe- keep people connected to our football club in what's a really unique period. So our digital team have worked really hard in, in, um, in working through that now. Now we're hoping there's a few different initiatives we, we're hoping to uh, work on for round two, obviously, when the, when the season recommences. It's it's going to be challenging. You know, it's, I think it's obvious that, particularly for the first half of this recommencements, it's going to, it's unlikely we're going to have crowds and it will depend a whole lot on how society continues to build and manage uh, the virus um, and how well, you know, how comfortable government feels about all of that as to whether we'll get crowds at a later point. I'd love to think that, for the, for the last four to six to eight weeks of the season, you'd love to think your members and your fans can get access to our games, but we're just going to have to wait and see. But we have to work overtime to continue to try and build that connection with our members because it's, it's, a, it's a season unlike any other, obviously. Xavier, so just on, um, in terms of, has there been any, uh, I guess, direction from the AFL about if, if one club does have an outbreak, um, does that mean that the whole system shuts down or is it that the club is just isolated? Um, have they given sort of some contingencies how that may look? Now, we haven't got the final protocols yet. Obviously, previously, it was it was going to be a shutdown, clearly. But, but now, with an advancement in testing, uh, I'd expect that there'd be greater flexibility now and ability to isolate quickly um, without compromising the entire club or the competition. But again, that's sort of something we're still waiting on the detail from the AFL um, as to how that would be managed moving forward. How, Xavier, how does the club handle going to 24 staff and halving the number of staff? Have you, have you done an allocation of resources at you know, more coaches? Is it more, um, more physios? I mean, who, which, which side of that 48 football department staff miss out on, on being part of the, uh, the comeback to play? Yeah, we were just talking about that briefly before. It's it's a it's a challenging one. Obviously, it's it's led a lot by your, your head of footy and your and your coaches, and your, particularly with with obviously Wusher and and Ben, and philosophically where they believe um, their program foundation strength is. And now for us, coaching is a big part about that, um, and obviously the mental skills piece. And we had Dave Reed on the program last week talking about the prioritisation the clubs put on that space. So they're two really important pieces of uh, sort of areas of the club that we've got to be focusing on. But the other aspect is and you're building the players back up in a relatively short period of time for a game that requires, you know, it's enormously physically demanding game. So how that pre-season period looks like, you know, you're going to have to really support the players. Um, and, you know, Sean Murphy, we had on a few weeks back, he's got a you know, tremendous 
role to play in in doing all of that. But there's a there's a, also an important piece around the multitasking, Hurdy, that you're going to see that, um, and this is probably going to be a theme that football clubs are going to see moving forward beyond this season with a significant reduction in the football department soft cap. That um, where where people were quite functional in a specific role, they're going to have to play. Yeah, multiple roles in a football program moving forward if you want to maintain a similar level of service and standard as to what you've had in the past. And that's, um, you know, there will be greater emphasis will naturally be put on people that, um, to be able to do that, which I think is, you know, is understandable. I think that was the, the greatest change when I went, came back from playing to, to coaching was the multitasking or the lack of multitasking that, that staff mm. were required to do from, you know, back in the early 2000s when, when we were playing, we had... You know, I think it was Robert Shaw, Mark Harvey, Dean Bailey, um, uh, Kevin Sheedy um, as, as, as your coaches and and Terry Danaher as your coaches. And they were basically doing a number of different roles. You know, there wasn't just mm. one role. There was a bit of fitness, there was a bit of coaching. And I would think that, um, you know, from a coach's perspective, you're going to be doing a lot more of that rather than just, all right, you're a line coach, you look after the back line and, you know, these six players, it, it feels like, that is going to be a much more um, multitask role than they had previously. Yeah, and it's sort of it's sort of further to that, Hurdy. Sort of as, as, as challenging as it will be for clubs, because obviously you've you become attached to the people within your within your program, and you know that as well as anyone. You've, Job, you've seen it how you build a really strong bond within your football program, and unfortunately, just because of the way it's shifting, is is you're going to lose some really great people to your football program, and that's really challenging. And No one's going to enjoy the process of that. Um, on the flip side is it probably allows you to create greater level of alignment potentially um, with a smaller amount of people, and that's just, you know, that's just natural. So, you know, it'll, it'll be football, it'll be a different format, it'll be a different structure, but if you want to maintain that stand and that level, it, multitasking will be a huge part about what, you do, about what you're doing there. Xavier, we, um, just moving on to, you know, like from a, a, the fans and, and the members' perspective, um, you know, they've obviously the expectations of what um, a member will be able to receive for, for what they've they've paid for the football club is going to be very different um, mm. going into this, this season. Just, uh, I guess, from from their perspective, what, what offerings do you think that the club is going to be able to, to sort of give to, to help members get through knowing that they're not going to be able to get the, the number one thing that they really want, which is to be able to attend games and barrack for their team? Yeah. No, it's a good, it's a good question, Joe. We've spent a lot of time talking about this in the footy club. Obviously, there's a range of reasons why members sign up to a footy club, and a big part of that is connection. But for this year, you know, in terms of home matches and games where, where, where members can access, it's going, to be, it's going to be limited, regardless of even the best-case outcome. Is still going to be going to be very limited. It might be the last month or two months of the season. So we worked on a, a, on developing a range of flexible options for our members to choose from with respect to their membership this year, um, and that will include you know and clearly it's a hard one to talk because obviously uh, you know, we want our members to to maintain their their support of the footy club this year, and, and, and realistically you know, we need them to because financially our football club it becomes a really significant challenge. If we don't have that, and I'm talking you know, bluntly, we're, we're not privately owned. We're, we're essentially owned by our members, and it becomes really challenging if we if we don't have that support. So we've we've worked on ways that um, for those members that do maintain their membership in 2020, we can provide you know complimentary upgrades for the 2021 season or or a sign guernsey, those sorts of things. And we and again, we're still just working through what that looks like 
um, this week with a, with a hopefully being in a position to announce it next week. I mean, the other opportunities that, that uh, might exist is, uh, you know, to be able to convert your membership to a tax-deductible donation, um, which is, you know, that would be a really attractive benefit, obviously, for a lot of people. Um, but equally, for those that uh, don't feel they want to... Uh, position it that way or for those that might be financially challenged the, the option to create a credit look at a credit for their membership this year or a refund you know that's something that we've when we've worked really hard with a lot of members over the last six weeks who particularly those members who are in real financial hardship and we'll talk a bit about um, launching a, a campaign to help support members in financial hardship back a bomber which we'll talk about shortly but those options all exist. So maintain your membership this year, seek a credit or or a refund, obviously, and we'll talk more over the next sort of week around what that looks like. Um, so I think that's a really important point you talk about, you know, about the range of options for members because I think majority of Essence supporters really want to help, but if there are people who financially can't, can't afford it, I think it's really important that the club... Everyone knows the club needs the money to survive, but I think the club understands too that the, the individual, if they're in a tough situation, um, needs the option to, to come out of it. And I think it's really, you know, really heartening to hear you say that. Just quickly on that, that taxation point of view, what, what, how did, what does that entail us? I mean, it, obviously it's very rare for you to be able to buy a membership and then claim it on tax. Is, is that something that's come in just because of this situation? Yeah, so, so obviously we, we work closely with the, with the Australian Sports Foundation. And for a lot of our members who will have contributed and other support through the club contributed toward our, our facility expansion, I think we had our flight plan. There's an opportunity, any, any donation you provide through there becomes 100% tax deductible. And that, that obviously influences people differently depending on um, their personal circumstances. And it could be anywhere from you know 15% up to potentially 40-odd 40, 40 percent that you can claim back on your tax. So there is a there is a ruling now that will help support. I think it's been it's been communicated publicly now that will allow greater flexibility and, and the club would would be able to act on their behalf of the members and push it through the Australian Sports Foundation and then would then the member would benefit from a from that tax relief, which is you know personally I see that as a really a really attractive benefit. To your point before that around ensuring that we provide the opportunity for refunds where where a member seeks, you know, we think that's really important. And and one thing the board discussed as well was ensuring that no matter what option you choose, if you choose to maintain your membership with the club this year, which is clearly something we we hope a lot of members really consider because you know, our club is heavily reliant on our membership and, and the support of our membership and it will become a really sort of significant mountain for us to climb if we if we don't have that support. But whether you choose to maintain, you choose a credit or you choose a refund, no matter what you choose, uh, you won't lose your consecutive years of membership. We want to honour that. We want, we want to honour your reserve seat. It needs to be protected like it's because it is a unique set of circumstances and, and, and we are absolutely adamant to ensure that that's maintained for all our members. Andrew Welsh is just about to join us, the, the former bomber, but I did uh, invite text messages and we've got heaps of them. I do want to read this one out from Chris who uh, has, says how much he, he's loving the program, but he's got a direct question for Job and for also Hurdy just around tricks to show resilience through these times. He's going through a bit of a tough time himself and you guys have obviously gone through tough times. He, he wants to know whether there's a trick up his sleeve that he can use to, to help in that resilience space. It's a tough question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can only go from personal experience. Um, and, you know, for me, it was about, uh, I actually, I'm quite a visual sort of person. So for me, it was writing down, you know, things that I wanted to do 
um, things that I could control, things that I couldn't control and, and not focus and get caught up on things that were out of my control. Um, and I just worried and focused on the things that I could actually make a difference to, started off small, wrote them down. And then each time I was able to, um, you know, succeed or, or achieve it, um, then I was able to tick it off and move on to the next one. I think that the important thing for me was to, to, to narrow the focus on the things that were really in my control um, because it, there was an outcome that I could achieve out of those things. The, the stuff that is, is out of your control is never going to be something that you can um, move on from um, because you're always going to be at its mercy. So I wouldn't waste any energy worrying about things that were out of my control and I'd just be focusing on the things that I could. Um, and that was actually... Uh, really beneficial for you know self-esteem and, and how I felt about myself and how I then dealt through the, the situations was because I was actually feeling like I had some sort of control of my life and my decisions and I was able to actually progress um, through them. So they were the things that I, I sort of focused on in, in times of when you feel like you're at the mercy of other things and, and there's not a lot you can do about it. Hedy? Yeah, look, I think a very good answer from Joe, and just to build on that a tiny bit, I think, you know, keeping keeping things pretty simple um, and also forming some sort of routine, you know, when you, you lose your job or part of your identity is, is taken away or, or whatever the adversity you're coming up against, um, often, you know, you, you lose some of that routine that you used to. So, so bringing some routine back to your day and, and completing some simple tasks that, that make you feel better about yourself, and they don't have to be, Massive task, but you know, a walk around the block, uh, you know, spending some time reading a book, just some simple things that allow you to you feel better about yourself, um, and, and totally, you know, back Job up. There's no point worrying about things you can't control because uh, the things you can control are often difficult enough. The reason I did put that text in, apart from asking for text messages on 0416905052, is there's three or four that have come through just today uh, on a similar sort of theme. And I reckon uh, both Job and Herdy have handled that uh, perfectly. I hope that helps, particularly for you, Chris, who is a big Bomber fan. But, uh, Joe, we have got a special guest on the line. He's a former teammate of yours and a former teammate of uh, Herdy's. Uh, you can introduce him and away you go. Yeah, it is my pleasure to introduce uh, Andrew Welsh, who, who I uh, maintained a very close relationship. Specifically, we roomed together on many a footy trip, to, and um, I used to tuck him in the bed most times when he was just uh, sort of just didn't quite make it to the bed. I'd just pull him up. Uh, he would always come home before me, so I'd have to make sure that he was okay. Uh, Wilsha, how is life treating you in, in isolation? Uh, yeah, thank, thanks, Joe. And talk about isolation. That's where you spent most of your time on footy trip because you couldn't actually drink. So um, you spent a lot of your time in the, uh, the hotel rooms. But uh, look, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for having me on, fellas. Mm. It's uh, good to catch up and, and have a chat in the uh, in the new world that it is. I must say that every every meeting I've been doing and everything I've been doing has been through this you know, Zoom, which is the uh, the way of the world. And when I got asked to come on this the other day, I assumed it was a Zoom call, so I. Had the hair done. I went to the gym the last couple of days, which I haven't done for the last 10 years, and got my best shirt out and found out about five minutes ago it's a phone call. So rest assured, I'm looking good, and, uh, and isolation is treating me well. <laughs> wish you, uh, you, you, you've obviously made a name for yourself in the construction industry, and you know, congratulations on all the success you're getting outside of football. But just talk us through how difficult the last sort of six to eight weeks must be for your industry. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of work that can go on in construction-wise and building-wise, but I'm sure 
can't be easy with some of the restrictions that have, that have come on in that area. No, you're right. I, I don't think there's, uh, you know, there's, there's any industry that hasn't been you know, severely impacted um, over this, this recent period. There's, there's some, there will be some successes from you know, an economic standpoint uh, through this, but um, but you know, majority of the uh, the world's economy and those of all, us that are all involved in this certainly been been challenging. From from a construction perspective, we've you know we've been allowed to continue constructing on site um, with you know adhering to all the rules and regulations, which obviously impacts how quick you can um, get through construction. So that's been a you know a serious challenge that we've had to adapt to. Um, from a sales perspective, we've you know, had a number of purchasers that have lost their jobs and working through how they can actually secure um, uh, the finance for their for their their lots or their houses or tenancies for um, you know, commercial precincts. So um, I found you know, myself had to you know, get back into the chair in in a lot of facets that have had employed people to do over the growth of the business that I've had to you know unfortunately make make some calls and uh, restructure the business in a way that you know I'm lucky that I had to fill a lot of uh, shoes throughout the process of building the business that it's quite easy for me to step back in and, and do the extra work that's required um, through this period. It's certainly been challenging and uh, unfortunately it's not it's not the you know, the, the end. Uh, I think we've got a, a tough 12 to 18 months ahead of us until we get some stabilisation out there. Um, you know, but to everyone's you know, best best endeavours that he's navigating through this thing on a day-to-day basis, it's, it's certainly been challenging for myself and, 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 and my business and and everyone involved. Wish well, I mean, you've we had um you know someone uh, text through before about resilience and um you know you had you were faced with um some real challenges not throughout your just your football career with you know major injuries that you came back from and successfully recovered and returned to play but then also the idea of um, you know people losing their jobs and their identities attached to their jobs and you again successfully finished one career and started up an, another and been really successful at doing so. Do you have any sort of tips or advice for people, you know, uh, what they can do about, you know, if they're, if they're losing that sense of identity, if, if their job is being um, changed or they're going through something, a, a really difficult time themselves from your own personal experience? Um, you know, for, for, for me, I, you know, I'm a, which is difficult in this environment. I like to be a personable type person, you know, reach out to people that, you know, that I don't know, but I'd like to have, you know, contact with, talk to, whether it's from a business perspective, um, you know, which, you know, or, you know if, if something doesn't go my way, well, you know, I get up the next day and, and find a way to actually, you know, get out there and, you know, hunt, hunt the streets of Melbourne to find out how I can solve for an issue that I've got. It's really challenging in this environment because you can't do that. So for people that have, you know, they've, they've unfortunately lost, lost their job they can't just you know there's there's, there's you know, portions of jobs out there that have been you know come through whether it's you know, in logistics areas or you know, australia post or like that are looking for for works but it's really challenging um so i can understand why it's not just pick yourself up and go out and get another job in this environment because it's not mm. it's not that that simple but for me I, I i look at i look back and go okay well how you know where do i need to um look for that um, light at the end of the tunnel, and, and what do I need to get there? And is it the, you know, is it one? Is it the lifestyle and living? And this is a lot of things we talk to our purchasers around that are struggling for finance, that they've lost their job. How, how, how are they their current? How are they currently living? And what are the necessities that they need to actually live through this period? And 
and get rid of a lot of the luxuries that aren't, aren't necessities. Um, and that's and that's challenging because we've all come to a, a customer wanting the things we like, and um, and at, in some instances people do that at all costs. That it puts you know other things at, at jeopardy. But you know we've we've got a you know pretty close team here um, with within the business that you know we're we're all open to understanding that we're all mentally, physically, emotionally challenged through through this period, and that no one person will get through it. You know, in by themselves, that they need to be able to reach out and and help support. And if it's not a work environment, it's a family environment. It's not a family environment. You know, it's a sporting club environment. And you know, these type of podcasts that, that you guys are doing, and other clubs are doing, and other you know, associations are doing, and keeping people connected um, and being able to give them you know some advice. Um, you know, about the resilience piece, but also you know a real contact to you know this thing will will end at some point and. Life will be come back to, to normal in in a different way, but but there there, there is a light there. So um, it's just a, you know, a number of steps and um, you know need to fall in place um, throughout that process until we get there. Well, well now, I've got, I've got so. a number of sorry. Uh, can I just you jump in there? Yeah. So I've got a number of stories that um, I could tell about Wisha, um, and I'm sure he's um, holding his <laughs> breath before I start talking. But the, the, the one story that I want to talk about and then ask you a question about what the Essendon Football Club mean, means to you, uh, Wisher, is is before the 2011 um, elimination final against Carlton, I think Wisher had been out for a, a couple of weeks with a hamstring injury and we were, we were debating as a coaching group, um, you know, we really wanted him in the team. He'd been a very influential member and he was debating whether this was going to be his last year or not his last year. And we're in the change rooms at the MCG, which I'm not sure if you remember. It was a, maybe a Wednesday after morning session or a Thursday morning session before the game. And, um, you know, I'd been in sort of match committee and we decided that we were, we were going to, um, you know, play, play Wish. We hadn't told him yet. And, um, he, he came up to me just before we ran out of the training session and he said, look, I, I don't think, um, I'm right. I don't think my, I'd love to play him. My hamstring got through all the tests. It's got through training. But um, I just think that I'd be putting the team at jeopardy and risking uh, the team by running out there as much as I want, I want to be out there. And I think what, what that showed me and, you know, why it's such a great story about Wisher is that he was, you know, one of the most passionate players that I ever played with, um, for not only out on the ground, but as a teammate off the ground in terms of his care for his teammates. Um, but he was he was also one of the most unselfish, um, and and it came through in a number of ways. But that to me was the epitome of unselfishness. And it turned out that he didn't end up playing another game of AFL football. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, wish I just want to tell that story because I know the football club means a hell of a lot to you. Um, not only the the yes men, the red and the black, but the people that you, you've played with. In you know in in less than twenty five minutes, what what is the what does the footy club mean to you and and how have you become so passionate about it? Yeah, uh, thanks, mate. I do. Uh, I, I, I do remember that day. I actually forgot about it until you uh, you mentioned it there. But it was. It was. You know, I I you know, severely broken, dislocated my ankle a couple of years before that, and um, you know the challenges that just come, you know, mentally and physically, being able to you know do everything you can from you know a body that was really half able and to be able to perform at a level. You know, I don't hide behind. I was you know, you know I was never. You know, Brownlow medalist, never the most flashy kicking goals from the boundary. I was getting more hangers taken on me than I was actually taking on other people. But, you know, for, for me, my strength was if we're, if we're standing there and it was, you know, the old, the old school 
you know, the game of, all right, I pick you, I pick you. You know, I want to be the, the one that, you know, my, my captain would be wanting to pick. And I remember that before that final, you know, I played quite a few games that, that year, the contract there for the, the next year. But I, I remember out training around docks, I passed all the tests to, to play that game. But I, I remember I just walked around the MCG and I was looking up and I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm not confident I'm going to get through. And and if anyone knows their body well, it's, it's the person whose body it is. And I remember jogging off and people going, yeah, you're good, you look good. You're... And I, I ran down the race and I was bawling my eyes out because I was like, everyone thinks I'm right and I've been given the all clear, but I know I'm not. So I went, went downstairs in the change rooms, I'm sitting there and I was, you know, I was crying. So I was like, this is, for me, it wasn't just, that's just not, I'm not going to play this game. Even though there was a contract there beyond, it was like, I'm, I'm not going to be able to continue um, because I just felt that I'd be taking up a spot on the list of you know someone else that can put a hundred percent in body wise, and unfortunately I've seen too many people that would just see out their contracts on a on an exercise bike for the for the pay packet rather than the, rather than for the you know the passion and for, for what the the club had provided me. So I, I I moved on extremely quickly from from footy because I was quite comfortable that the footy club gave everything to me and I gave everything that I possibly could back to the the, the footy club and. Um, you know, it you know went went into the club as a boy, and you know, come out as a man, and with friendships that you know last forever, and not not just from the playing group, but from you know the supporting group um, as well, from from sponsors, um, and and the, the the greater community. So, I, I wouldn't be who I am or where I am if if it wasn't for the Essendon Footy Club and and the people within it. You know, the, the clubs, you know, the clubs nothing without the players, but the players and the club are nothing without the supporters and, and the people that, that turn up every week and continue to support the club. So it's an enormous part of my life. Um, although I don't get too footy that much, um, you know, recent times just with, with work and, and family, you know, growing, I still feel, you know, that any time I want to need to go back to get that, you know, self, you know, belonging of a, of a place that the doors are, are always welcome to the past players, which is a, a great thing. The club's you know, really been pushing, as I've seen, in the last few years, in particular, a real you know, increase in, in you know making sure that those past players do do feel welcome because it is regardless of how you finished up, um, it is a big part of every player's life that goes through that place, and ninety nine percent of the players that walk into that place walk out a better person. Well, she, I mean, further to to, to her this point, it's, it's obviously it's Xavier here, but uh, I mean, I. I can sort of attest to the fact that uh, so many times over the last... I mean, I've been at the footy club for over 10 years now, at CEO for six and a half or seven. I mean, you've you've reached out many a time to sort of offer support where you can or mentoring for younger players or you know, a whole range of different initiatives, some that I could talk about, some that I probably can't because it's sort of... I mean, you'd be embarrassed if I raised it publicly because it's sort of... You did it from the good of your heart. But like we were speaking before about the... The club as a community, you know, as a family, and that's obviously you know incredibly important. You want to keep your family together as much as you can during really challenging period. And you know, for us, a big part of that is trying to keep our membership connected to our football club. This year, we were speaking before about you know members being able to impact the club positively this year by maintaining their membership, but also the clear understanding that uh, some members will be will be struggling. And when you reached out to me a couple of weeks ago about how you could help support the footy club. We sort of said to you, and we're thinking about a couple of additional, um, different initiatives that we might be able to develop, but one initiative we've been looking at is the back of bomber, and that's very much 
geared to those members that are in really significant financial hardship. And we saw Hurls, the great story of Hurls a couple of weeks back, helping a, a member who was really struggling and um, lost their job and had other financial pressures. And that's something that you, when we, when we sort of pitched it to you and to others, uh, it seemed to resonate with you, obviously. Uh, yeah, look, I, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an environment at the moment that everyone needs a, an arm thrown around, you know, around them somehow, whether it's you know, financial support or it's a, an ear to talk to or, um, you know, or you know, anything, any type of in, interaction. Um, you know, it's something that, that everyone needs. And I saw, you know, well, Bob McDonough is, you know, one of the, uh, you know, Mick Early, one of the, the gems of the world in, the, you know, with his empathy and, um, you know, and he's helped support a, a family through, which is, you know, with their membership, which is, you know, which is really, you know, challenging. It was something that I, you know, resonated with me. I think, well, you know, I can provide, you know, I look at the members that have, you know, cheered me and booed me, but they, you know, they are part of what the, you know, the great club is. And if there was some support there that I can help provide, you know, in a small way to help help the club, but help those people continue to feel like they are, you know, part of the membership and contributing through this tough time, then, yeah, it was something that I wanted to do, and it wasn't to you know, recognition, or it was just, you know, it's just the, the environment that, and you know, the place that wherever I can, however I can, within means, help help out the footy club and those that, that do support it. So just to be clear, so that's a, the Backer Bomber is a, is a campaign that will launch later this evening. So there'll be a hub established on our website for for members that are in um, in financial hardship. Obviously, the Hawthorne has been a club that's that's uh, released a similar. I think they call it Pay It Forward, which is essentially members contributing to, and we'll open it up to all members if they want to contribute to this fund. Um, like Welshy, who is uh, who's very kindly, generously uh, contributed five thousand dollars to that fund for members like. Um, those that have contacted us in the last sort of six week who six weeks who are facing that hardship that we want to we want to help them where we can. Um, I know the board and the executive are keen to support this as well, and we will. Um, and want to build that fund up over the next few weeks. So so those that are genuinely in, in that hardship position, we can help support them. So, mate Welsh, on behalf of everyone at the Footy Club, thanks for um, such a generous uh, commitment. And it's, you know, it's, it's very fitting from someone like you because you do love the Footy Club. No, that's fine. Least, least I can do. As I said, you know, it's you know, small, small bits of everyone can sort of do things in different ways, and you know we we, we stay as one through these type of times. And you know, and being one part of the uh, the Essendon Footy Club fabric is something that I hold on to dearly. So I want others to, to have that same relationship that I do. Hey, Wusha, um, well done, mate. Congratulations on what you're doing for the club and the supporters. And we've got to run because our next guest is is on the other line. But our next guest is um, Kyle Hooker, and he said he's got that much dirt on you that he wants to spill before we go to air. Is there one... one there if, you, if there's one thing you could click with uh, Hooks just quickly in 30 seconds, what, you know, what, what would you say to him? Oh, Hooks and I are extremely close. He's, um, he's one of the, uh, the best operators that I've come across uh, off, off and on the field. Or just ask him about his peacock strategy, his strategy around the peacock. It's brilliant and it works fantastic. I'll leave you with that one. Thank you, mate. Good on you, fellas. Thanks, Busha. Andrew Welsh. Andrew Welsh joining us. Uh, 162 games for the Bombers between 2002 
and 2011 and uh, one of the most popular players uh, at Windy Hill um, because that's where they were at the time as uh, both Herdy and Job have just explained. Uh, you are listening to Working Through It on this Wednesday afternoon. It's a, a fine afternoon when you look out over the city, which has been a bit different to previous weeks on a Wednesday afternoon. Next, you're going to catch up with one of the favourites of the Essendon Footy Club, Kyle Hooker. I don't think contend to be the right word. I'll be content if we win a premiership. Um, that's the reason why I joined. Um, but looking back now, I was just glad that um, obviously I had a bit of fire from the 2017, everything that happened there. Um, and probably I, a bit to prove to myself because um, I'd, I'd never gone through not being picked um, in the first since being drafted. So I was quite lucky. Um, and it's probably the kick up the backside that I needed to get back to training and doing everything that I know that I can do. Um, so it was just nice to, to prove to myself and, and give back to Adrian, the people that believed in me. Um, and yeah, content probably wouldn't be the word that I'd use. The critically acclaimed Dodcast, uh, which is on snnfc.com.au, where Adrian Dodoro goes through some of his uh, his uh, prize recruits. And before we get to Kay Hooker, Job, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Did you think Devin Smith was as good a footballer as he is when he came to the footy club? Um, probably, probably not. No, I think that he surprised surprised me in what he was able to do in his first year um, at the footy club. Uh, and like his his versatility, I always sort of sort of saw him as a you know forward who could um, create goals and and was quite uh, you know tenacious with his um, defensive ability. But um, he he was able to to take it, I thought, to a new level and add a new dynamic to the club with his um, defensive running, uh, um, his ferocious you know how ferocious he was around the ball and. I think we really missed him in the, uh, last year. Um, you know, like he just left a real hole. Um, and that was compounded when Orazio also wasn't around as well. And we just lost that leg speed. We lost that ability to keep the ball in our forward half. And I felt, felt like we lost his um, aggression around the footy as well in, through the midfield. Well, it's interesting um, when he went to GWS, uh, Brendan McCartney was the assistant coach at that time. He spent a bit of time watching him down at Geelong Falcons. And uh, I remember talking about different players. There's no way we were going to get um, sort of player at that level into our club at that draft, just because of you know the the what had been given to GWS. But Brendan McCartney said about Dylan Smith. He just said that this kid is the most competitive animal, and his ability around goal and around the contest is just incredible. Do whatever you can to get him in future years. Uh, that was how highly he rated him. So um, obviously, you know. It was a few years at GWS where we didn't um, see him probably get the opportunity because of all the quality they had in the midfield. But um, he certainly has turned out to be a fantastic player. But uh, I just remember those words from Brendan McCartney ringing in my ear when when uh, he came to Western and, and hoping that he was going to be as good as McCartney had said he would, uh, you know, four or five years earlier. Yeah, he hasn't just been a great recruit for Essendon, but he's been one of the great recruits across the competition for a, a player changing clubs. Okay, Joe, this is your time. This is this is your moment. One of your best mates is joining uh, your own podcast. This is a big moment. Well, I am very excited to, um, you know, we've taken him away from the the Swan Valley and uh, the harvesting of grapes. I'm keen to know where what the the peacock story is. I, I haven't heard that one from him, but um, Kale, thank you very much for um, for joining us here on uh, 
on the uh, the podcast and and how is life going and and more importantly um where is the what is the peacock origin thanks joe thanks for having me guys uh, it's nice to see a podcast fill the big hole that the hard tag podcast left a couple of years ago <laughs> when the, the club stopped paying so it's good to be on uh, i i haven't been across the peacock story so i've got no idea what you're talking about <laughs> you might have to ask her well she next time <laughs> how is uh how is the the vines going over in the swan valley hooksy yeah it's been great uh obviously it was a difficult time with what went on with uh footy getting called off and what was going on in the world so i made the call to shoot over to wa and have a bit of family time and i thought it was the best place to isolate and be part of uh, making sure i'm not spreading it and uh, social distancing like everyone else so I stayed out um, at the accommodation, which was empty um, at the time, at the Hooker Winery. Uh, and then I was helping Dad out in the vineyard and uh, doing my training as well on the side. So I was there for about five weeks and I made the best of a bad situation and had a, had a good amount of family time and also learned a few tricks around the vineyard. Hooksy, uh, it's Hurdy, mate. How are you? Good, mate. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, I want to take you back to 2011, I think it was, or 2010 pre-season, my sort of first year as coach, and, and we didn't know each other that well, and I certainly didn't know um, the heart and the passion you had as a player, and, you know, just seen you out on the field. We sort of, we played you uh, down back a bit, and you had a lot of hamstring injuries, um, and we tried to play you forward, and it was sort of a bit of a, a nothing year for you, 2011, but between 2011 and you know, and, and where you got to as a player, you know, where, where you are now in that sort of, you know, interceding years. I know you did a lot of work away from the club. Can you take people through how hard you worked um, on your running style and on your hamstrings and your body to become a, you know, the backing you, you did that in the end beat anyone that just came down uh, your way? Yeah, uh, I did have a frustrating year in 2011. I was um, trying my best to get as fit as I could and become the player I wanted to become but I kept having the hammy injuries like you said and it can be pretty hard to play footy at, at your best of your ability when you're worried in the back of your mind if you're going to twing a hammy or if you lose that continuity uh, even as far as developing as a player and um, building bonds on the field as teammates. Uh, so that off season I, I employed my own running coach and I uh, worked my ass off uh, like you have to do every off season and uh, came back fit and got a bit of momentum and then uh, we had such a great uh, team of older players and coaching staff that I was then able to learn all the things off um, yourself and Joe and uh, Sean Wellman had a big influence on me teaching me some of the craft down back and to be able to play along Dustin Fletcher and some of the, the experience had at Essendon I was about I was able to learn heaps and uh, sort of just learn the Essendon culture and learn about the Essendon passion um, which grew on me over the years of uh, being an Essendon player. And, and just in this time where you know things are tough and people are doubting themselves and, and doubting you know, your self-worth. There must have been a time, you know, I, there must have been a time when, I think there's a day I was watching you play in, in the reserves and, and you literally couldn't run. Like, you you literally couldn't run. There was, you know, the, the 10-year-old guy bringing the water out was running quicker than you um, across the ground. <laughs> there must have been a time that you doubted yourself because from where you were there to where you got to, you know, in the, not saying not in the primary career, but where you've got to as a player, um, is really just extraordinary... The physical side of things is one thing, but how did you handle the, the mental demons that, that came into your head? Well, lucky that I didn't see myself like you did. <laughs> that would have been a bit of a concern, but uh, I sort of knew I needed to work hard and uh, had good development coaches and um, just worked my ass off, really, and kept working on my game and chipping away at it. And then you, you have a few breakthrough moments uh, here and there physically and also with the way I was playing. And 
Uh, you build confidence as you have more and more games. And uh, I remember having conversations with you about consistency and you don't want to just play one good game. And um, Neil Craig and Brendan McCartney used to ride me pretty hard about that, that you've got to be able to back it up at a high level uh, over and over. And that's what the good players do. Uh, they're consistently at a high level, not just good games here and there. Hoodie, I think it. Um, I can remember specifically um, what the change was. There was, I remember being in um, in the hot cold tubs, um, and uh, Hooksy and I were just sitting in there, the two of us. And there's this, you know, forlorn looking character there, and down in the dumps. And I said to myself, "Well, you know what I'll do? I'm going to make. I'm going to brighten this kid's day." And I said, "Kale, I'm looking for a partner in the footy trip." <laughs> room with me, my friend. <laughs> and you should have seen the shoulders went back. There's a smile from ear to ear, and it completely turned his his career and uh, his behaviour around. Uh, I think that that was maybe the instigator from, uh, from where things born from. I think that might have been the same year I progressed from the T-shirt to the singlet. So I think they went ahead. <laughs> hey, Hooksy, all I can say is Joe would have to be very careful telling footy ship stories. <laughs> well, I heard he learned everything off you, but uh, it did certainly help me having, having those overseas experiences uh, and getting to know your teammates better. And I've got no doubt that helps you on the field and at the club and during difficult times when you build those relationships overseas and spend time together not in the footy environment. Uh, I've got no doubt that that definitely helps you on the field and with your relationship. Uh, Hooks, in, re- in regards to on the field, like uh, I know you weren't out there for, for round one, but what was sort of the, the feedback from the guys who played about, you know, having an empty stadium? And and we, 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 we talked last week about, um, Xavier talked about the emotion that you had after watching um, the, the round two game and all the fans marching into the, the ground and, and what you saw and the passion that you saw and how that was one of the real instigators for you wanting to stay at the footy club. I mean, what what do you think it was will be like, you know, not being able to play in front of fans um, in the you know when footy returns? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I remember that round two game when uh, the fans all marched for the stadium and Zach Merritt and the, a young Zach Merritt and a young Joe Danaher pretty much put a show on the two of them and beat Melbourne single-handedly just about. Uh, and that sort of sent shivers down my spine. I remember talking to the guys and yourself about it at the time that um, that passion sort of made us want to come back and it definitely contributed to us sticking together and um, sticking by the club. And as far as the crowds go, my initial reaction when we weren't playing in front of the crowds because the, the footy club is the members and the people um, in the stadium and the energy and that's why you, you give your best effort um, is with all the members there and fans there. My initial reaction was I almost didn't want to play because it sort of seemed a little bit pointless. But reflecting now and speaking to the guys, we all know the fans are watching and the fans are supporting us. So it still is worth it to go out there and put a show on for the fans because we know everyone's at home watching and cheering. Uh, but I definitely have to consider it at the very start. And Hooksy, are you at all worried about the short preparation you're going to get? I mean, I know you've been training, you're, you're a very diligent, hard trainer, but are you worried not just for yourself, but for the, the team as to, you know, is three to four weeks enough time to, to make sure that, you know, your hamstrings and, and calves and, and groins, that sort of thing, are conditioned well enough for, for not just one game, but, you know, 16 games pretty much back to back? Yeah, it's going to be a challenge for the coaches and the fitness staff with how everyone comes back from all the teams mentally and physically. And we're just going to have to work with it. Uh, I think the most important thing has been to make sure the COVID stuff, we're not spreading it. It's safe for everyone to play. It's safe for the community. And we've just got to work together to get the games going. And 
Uh, there's no perfect amount of time. We're just going to have to work with it um, and do our best with it. And the teams that manage it the best might be able to get a little bit of an advantage. So if we can manage our squad well over the first few games, it should hold us in good stead. Uh, Carl, I've been asking everyone who comes on what Essendon means to them. And you know, I've got a story that about you that I don't know whether it's true or not, um, but it reinforces how much you love the Essendon Football Club right from day one and you want to be a part of it. But... It may be a, a, an exaggeration by Adrian Dodoro and Mark Thompson, which, you know, Adrian's, you know, obviously does a lot. So, um, end of 2012, uh, season finished, my wife and I were overseas, and uh, we received an offer from West Coast for, I think it was a second round pick, uh, a high second round pick and a high third round pick, and, you know, I'm overseas, we're talking about it late at night, sort of saying, no, we don't really want to do it, Hooksy's coming into good form, giving us back, and... And Adrian and Bomberil, and they said, well, why don't we put it to him and, and see what he wants to do? So it was decided that, that Adrian and Bomber would go around to your house, knock on your door and discuss it with you and see, see what happens. Is it true that you, t- you saw the two of them coming and refused to unlock the door? Um, because basically they came back to me the next day, rang me up and said, well, we tried to take it to him, but he saw us coming, locked the door and wouldn't let us in. So there's no <laughs> going ahead. Is that, is that a true story or is that another an Adrian Dodoro embellishment? The real story was West Coast weren't offering me enough money, so that's why I found the door. But um, <laughs> no, in, in all seriousness, that was 2011. I think it was the year you're talking about, and I'd had a lot of hammy injuries, and I was already training my ass off. And I could see from the club's point of view, the West Coast offer was actually a pretty good offer, a couple of second round picks for how I was going at the time, and it probably only added motivation to me and put put a bit more of a chip on my shoulder that I wanted to prove to everyone that I was worth more than that. Uh, and I knew that I was already moving better than people knew and I'd already implemented a new running technique and getting myself fit and working on my kicking and my skills. So I backed myself in at the time and I loved the club and uh, loved all the boys and wanted to have success together. So uh, it was it was an easy decision. And I remember I actually did speak to Bomber at the time and I said, uh, if I do stay, uh, would you hold it against me? And he was great. He said, uh, if you stay, the second trade period ends, uh, we treat our list like we treat it normal. So... If he had said something different, I might have had to consider my options, but uh, we had a really honest conversation and Bomber was great about it all and uh, it certainly helped inspire me. And, and fast forward to 2013, round one against, uh, round two against Hawthorne, when you kicked that, uh, that goal that we'd been practising for about six weeks in training. Um, <laughs> the, the passion that you showed uh, that day was, was, absolutely, uh, was absolutely incredible. I think that, you know, that's why so many Essendon supporters love you because the passion you've shown out in the ground for years has been, has been amazing when things have been going, you know, good and bad. I knew you were going to bring that up because that was your move, Eddie. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> well, I thought I should slip it in. And the club's been... the only move I've made in five years when it was bombing in the chair. The club's been using it for the next six years as well. <laughs> Well, Kyle, you've got to stay on the line because uh, thanks to Amar, the fan recall uh, from during the week on the Essendon website was your match-winning goal against the Hawks. And uh, this is how Adrian Johnson called it because uh, he has been awarded the, the best and we want your judgment on it as well. So firstly, let's hear from Adrian. Who wins it from here, BT? Holy silence says it all. Four-point ball game. Bombers with all the momentum. Crucial clearance. Cooney for Campbell to Melchon. He unloads with a high up and under. Good luck marking that. Ball spills. Collier kicked the last. Handball. Hooker. Crumman. Scrambling. Throwing the ball onto his boots. Bombers. Their fans erupt. And with good reason. They've kicked the last three. They lead by two points. 
You just can't write this. They look dead and buried. Look at that pickup, BT. As soon as he kicked it, he knew. He just knew. It was a fairly sedate start, but he did get into it. What are, you, what are your thoughts, Hooksy? Oh, it's a pretty, he's done a pretty good job, I reckon. I remember at the time that uh, we just lost to Sydney in a close one, round one, and then we managed to tip the Hawks in round two. So it was a big relief for all of us uh, that we didn't lose two nail-biters in a row and sort of gave us a chance to get our season going. Terrific, Hooksy. Thanks very much for joining. So you've got one final one, Hurdy? Or is... I was just going to say, Hooksy, what happened 30 seconds later? Because from my memory, they had missed one from the goal square themselves at the other end, didn't they? Didn't we do a great job kicking a goal, but our defence you know, 20 seconds later wasn't as good? I think the siren went just before Luke Bruce kicked it. So um, you know, yeah. luckily for us, the footy gods were on our side on that one. It was Marty Gleeson who'd left his man in a really bad position and uh, <laughs> Bruce and Crumpton and the uh, siren went. And Hooksy, just finally for me, any, any brunches planned when uh, isolation finishes? Um, well, we've launched Hooker Wine, so if people want to get on hookerwines.com.au, uh, we've got a wine club which we're keeping at 200 members because we're sold out the last two years and... Uh, we're keeping it limited this year so the people that want to have it don't miss out so if anyone wants to um, jump on and get involved uh, we do a great show Fantastic Kyle Fantastic Kyle Hooker joining us on the line 193 games for the Bombers and uh, he's only 31 so he's still got plenty of footy left in him wearing the red and black stick with us uh, on working through it plenty more to come and uh, some text messages as, th- as well that I want to get to for Job and Xavier and also for James. The final quarter of the 1984 BFL Grand Final at the MCG is umpire Glenn James comes in to bounce the ball. Hawthorne leading 68 to 45, only 23 points. Anybody's match. Byrne and Madden knocked down by the Essendon player, picked up by Williams. Essendon swing into attack. They want to go quickly in front of Zohara, and this is their goal. Baker puts it through. Eagle, centre wing. Essendon have decided, okay, we go for broke, and that's just what they're doing. Up towards full forward again. Oh, Bradbury, here's the goal. It's only a few points in it. Two goals came up in two minutes. Can the Bombers go on with it? Byrne tries to come out of the pack. It's Williams sending the Bombers back into attack. Up it goes there. Baker taps the ball on. Oh, beautiful play. Goes for a goal. And I think they've hit the front. Yes, they've hit front. A point in front. That's more goals for Baker. Merritt got into the back of McCarthy. Recovers well. Goes for hand pass to the blonde headed Harvey. A kick up there towards the full forward position. Vanderhaar knocked on. Here's a now for Weston. He's put it through for a goal. What a match winner this guy's been. It's set a half forward. This premiership was Sheedy's premiership with these tremendous moves he's made. Bob tapped on by Merritt. They're full of running. There's Weston again with a hand pass. Coming over to Watson. This could be another goal. It is. Oh, they're killing it. Into this quarter by just on 35 minutes. There's the siren. Essendon winning their first flag since 1965 and the final scores, Essendon 14-21-105-12-9-81. How's the crowd listening to that in the background? That was Essendon winning the 1984 VFL Grand Final. They trailed the Bombers 
10858 to 51545 uh, until they came home like a train. So that is this week's Coles Mighty Moment. Really is Coles Mighty Moments with uh, so many uh, highlights in that last quarter. I know, Herdy, you've referenced that as uh, your favourite moment as an Essendon fan through the years, and uh, it, it resonates with a lot of people. Yeah, I think Joe might have been a little bit too young. You were probably alive, Joe. No, 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 no. It was just a twinkle in an eye. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, for me, that has a lot of fond memories, family-wise and footy-wise. And, yeah, that was uh, a a wonderful day. And I'm sure a lot of Essendon supporters find that the the best day, uh, you know, 19 years. A lot of us at that time had never seen Essendon's success. So it was was wonderful to, to see. Well, it's a funny sort of tie-in too. I mean, talking about Hooksy's goal, that was around two, uh, 2015, which I think was actually the 84-85 reunion at that game. And uh, we spent uh, the night after that game over at the Hilton with all the 84-85 the players. And it was, uh, from, from my perspective, being an Essendon supporter my entire life and one of my first memories as an Essendon supporter, to then have that win in 2015 and then that night with, uh, with those guys, which put everyone in great spirits, was, was a great memory that I will always have as well. Now, that uh, Coles Mighty moment is part of uh, so many things that are available on the Essendon website. Um, so the Don's Digital team do a great job, to be honest. There's so many different things that are there. And uh, whether it be the, the Mighty Moment, we talked before about uh, Hooksy's goal. I know you can go on there at the moment uh, on EssendonFC.com.au and call Jake Stringer's goal against Gold Coast last year. Gee, didn't need that goal late in the game. Uh, so there's plenty to do there uh, on our website. Now, before we go back to you guys, I know there's plenty of things you want to sort of wrap the show up on, but uh, I did promise. So I'm going to deliver a few questions here for you guys. These are all questions unseen. Uh, but we'll get through about three or four of them because uh, there have been plenty of them. So this is just a, a select few. Um, some are easier than others. Um, Xavier, question for you. Uh, do you know who you are going to be playing in round two yet? No, we don't. We don't. We expect that to sort of come out from the AFL, well, perhaps by the end of the week or potentially early next week. I think uh, the first communication we're going to get is what the return to training looks like and when and the protocols around that in an official sense. But um, whether we get the fixture or at least the first sort of two to four rounds of the resuming resume fixture, I'm not entirely sure. We might have to wait until early next week. Okay, so that one. I've got another one for you here. Um, what's the latest on Connor McKenna? Because we talked about the Irish guys mm. last week. Um, there may be a fly in the ointment based on what's happened between that now and then. Can you fill us in a little bit with what you know? Yeah, it's sort of, I expect Connor, I think we, we expect Connor, as well as a range of other Irish players who have the right visa uh, to be on a plane. I think it's tomorrow night, so Connor will be back later this week, and then, and then he will, like the other Irish players, going to have to enter two weeks of quarantine. A bit more difficult with, with our other Irish boys, and we're just working through that because of their visa status right now, and working closer with the AFL and Department of Foreign Affairs around what that looks like, but Connor will be back very shortly. Okay, and one more one for you before one for the other guys. Uh, Rick from Essendon, uh, just around training, because they can't, uh, fans, members can't go to games this year, is there a chance that training might be an opportunity to see fans? I see players. There is, yeah, there, there is a chance. We're still, we, we ultimately have to wait on the AFL protocols. I mean, this, this is something they're negotiating with, uh, with state governments now around what, that's, what that access will look like. And uh, I'd expect that sometime next week, 
uh, we'll be in a position to let let fans know if they're going to be able to attend training in the in the foreseeable future. And I, they definitely will be. It's just a matter of when. All right, two more quick ones before you guys. Why don't you? Uh, yeah. Why don't you uh, put like the driving? You can put the cars <laughs> on the Eddie Hat Oval or the, the Marvel Oval. Like <laughs> put them in the tilt. They can all watch training out of the cars. Toot the horns. Of course, it's like taking it back to the old football days. That's it. All right, I got two more from the fans before you guys can finish it off. This one, I'm not sure whether this is uh, for Herdy or for Job. Hooker, a forward or a defender? defender. I think that um, yeah, he's defender. I think that. With, with, there's such this stability between um, you know hurls at, at centre at full back and then hooks here at centre half back. I, I think it just straightens up and uh, it just it always looks more comfortable when those two are playing together because they play such complementary styles of games with each other. And um, I think it uh, it sets us up really well. He was um, as good a one-on-one player as I've, as I've seen at Essendon. You know, Fletch is probably the the outstanding one. But when it came to Marking contests when you had um, Hooker, Carlisle, and Hurley in the, the back line or at different times in those marking contests, you, you almost knew the ball was at least going to come to ground. Very rarely would uh, Carl Hooker get beaten in the air, and I think his, his natural game was just a little bit, uh, and a very good forward, but just a little bit more uh, tilted towards the back line. All right, and last one. There is a lot of love for Blake Carousella, uh, it's fair to say, not just this week on the text, but uh, over the course of the last few weeks. And the question kind of is, firstly, is he definitely coming back to the club? Um, Xavier, you can probably answer that one. And, and what, what do we think makes him a good coach? And do we think that that was the case when he was a player that he was going to be a good coach? So I'll open that to anyone who wants to answer it. Well, he's a pretty integral part of our coaching panel, Blake. So uh, he's got a big role to play uh, this year and into the future. And um, I know uh, he works very closely with Ben. They obviously spent time together at Richmond. Um, I know Woosh is valuing his input greatly. Um, so Blake's got an enormous role for for us to play in this next phase. I'll let the guys talk about Blake, the the person and the, and the player and why they think um, he makes a good coach. Yeah, I suppose I haven't coached with him or... So I can't exactly talk about him as a, as a coach, but the, I suppose when you, when, you, when people talk about Blake, they talk about him, his ability to analyse the game statistically and both see it with his eye and, and, and particularly around that uh, midfield area and does, does a fantastic job. And I, I think statistically, talking to Brendan McCartney again a long time ago, that Blake had a very good eye for what the statistics meant and being able to crunch those numbers and then with his experience um, be able to put that into, into play. As a player, he was... You know, one of the smartest players we've ever played with. The, the, the guy found space, you know, where there wasn't space, was always looking out the other side, always found the goal, um, and, and really, you know, played in two clubs, premierships, played Essendon and Brisbane, then almost one at Collingwood. So, um, vitally integral player, but super, super smart and a good running ability and a, and a very good disposal of the ball. So, you never know which players are going to be coaches or not, but he, um, he certainly, uh, is forwards a very good reputation for himself. Well, boys, it's uh, it's over to you to wrap things up, and we thank you for all the text messages that have come through. I've tried to sort of group them as much uh, together as possible to, to get as uh, many contributions, but uh, away, away you go, guys. Thanks, Whitey. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's a sort of touched on at the start of the show. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's going to be a big couple of weeks, and we hope for some information from the AFL in the next 24, 48 hours about what return to play looks like, and obviously... Uh, we spoke a little bit earlier about the the membership piece, and you know we want to create me- options for our members. You know everyone has their own personal circumstances, but we're a club that's supported our people, and we're stronger for their loyalty and their passion that they have. And um, 
if members can maintain their membership this year, it means an enormous amount and certainly helps our club in, in rebounding quickly from, from the challenges um, of the COVID-19 issue and membership is our lifeblood. And over the next week, uh, later tonight, we will receive a, more information about the Backer Bomber um, concept on our, on our website. And in the next 24 hours, you'll receive a letter from Lindsay and myself sort of outlining where we sort of sit as a football club in, in working through this next phase and, and what the membership piece is going to look like. And, and ideally, as soon as the AFL comes out and announces... Uh, what the return to play looks like. And as soon as we've got our head around that, I want to provide a, a, a video to our members as we have at different points throughout this, uh, managing through this issue because I want our members to be across all the information and to truly understand how we as a club are, are working through it. And then sometime next week, uh, our members will receive a formal letter talking about uh, what the membership piece is going to look like moving forward and, and the different options that exist for our members. But uh, you know, it's an exciting period where we're sort of uh, we're excited to see the season back on track. And the one last thing I'd say is that Brucey e. Reid is struggling at the moment. He's going through some some health challenges. We only had him on the show a few weeks back, but everyone at the footy club's thinking of him and his family at the moment. So he's a great Essendon person. Yeah, certainly, um, absolutely echo um, that. Xavier thinking about um, Judy and, and and Bruce and and all the the Reid family. Um, and I, and I think that uh, you know what um, speaking with the players, you know, like they're so really excited to, to to get back there and to have the potential to play. And um, one of the things that they have been thinking about is is how um, how appreciative they will be, you know, when fans are able to come back and, and cheer and and what they're going to be what that's going to feel like because it is going to be different for for the players and it's also going to be really different for the. Um, the fans as well, that period where they're watching games but not a, absolutely going to be able to participate in. And I know the players are, are really thinking about how they're, they're going to be really excited to, to go out and play, obviously, and put on um, the jumper and represent the, the, the Guernsey and what that means, but also how appreciative they are about what it's going to be like when fans are able to come back and, and members are going to be able to be there and, and cheer and be part of the games again. Um, and I think that that is something that everyone is, is really looking forward to. Yeah, and a big, look, a big shout-out, as I said, to, um, to Judy and to, and to Bruce and the whole family. Um, you know, things aren't well, but um, hopefully um, they're getting better and um, we're all thinking of you. But I think most importantly, uh, Xavier, um, out of this show, is that Job's got some squaring off to do with his mates in Wusher and, and Hooksy, because I tell you what, he tipped them in on a couple of things. And uh, there'll be some text, mes- text messages going back and forward after this show, I think, making sure that he's squared off. So, anyway, we, we might get leading on those conversations at another time, Xavier. But thanks again, and uh, we're another week closer to uh, to getting back to normal. That's exactly right. Uh, guys, thanks very much uh, for your time today. It was great to catch up uh, with both uh, Andrew Welsh and also Kyle Hooker. And I just want to sort of reiterate too that the passion that's coming through in the text messages, I know the guys uh, are seeing a lot of them and really appreciate the support for the program, but also the support for the Essendon Football Club, whether you're passionate members or, or fans. Everyone really is, uh, Xavier, sort of uh, uniting together and it's quite powerful when you see the messages that are coming through and they are messages that uh, the, the club is reading and, and really appreciating. Yeah, I mean, we're all in it together, Whitey, the, the, the members, the fans, the players, the staff. It's, um, you know, it's our footy club. It's, uh, it's, it's everyone's footy club and we've, you know, it's a, it's a challenging period to get through, but we'll get through it only because of that support and um, 
we'll be back on field soon enough and we'll be back together soon enough. Hopefully when we're talking next week, uh, the guys are back at the club and they're training and getting ready uh, for the resumption of the season. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll do it all again next week. Enjoy tonight. Enjoy the rest of the week.